Um, and this morning, we are continuing on in a series in the book of Philemon. And Philemon is a small little letter in the New Testament, kind of on the right side of the Bible. And I feel like it's an often like overlooked uh, little letter in the Bible because it's only about one, it only makes up about one page in our Bibles. But it's really, it's really interesting and really fascinating and there's a lot that we can learn from it. So what we're doing in this series is we're just slowing down a little bit, taking our time, working our way through the letter to Philemon and seeing what we can learn from it. And Philemon's interesting because it's written by a guy who is currently um, kind of a prisoner under house arrest. So it's written from a prisoner to a slave owner about a runaway slave. So it's really interesting, written by a prisoner to a slave owner about a runaway slave. And there's three main characters we're gonna be looking at in the, in the letter to Philemon. There's three different people. So the first one is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was a leader in the early church. But if you don't know much about him, let me just give you a, a bit of background because it's a really, really fun story. So the Apostle Paul, his name used to be Saul and he used to be a Jewish leader. And when he was a Jewish leader, Christianity was, was really like taking off and on the rise. And he kind of made it his mission in life to go around and try and like end Christianity. So this guy, his name used to be Saul. He literally got orders to go out and find Christians, find people that were following Jesus and put them in jail and persecute them. And we even know of one guy that he, he oversaw his death. So that's, that's the Apostle Paul um, when he was Saul and before he was following Jesus. When he was out doing all of this stuff, he had this amazing encounter with Jesus where Jesus literally came and literally appeared to him. And because of that, it radically changed Saul's life and he became the Apostle Paul. So it's really, really amazing when we, when we meet the Apostle Paul in this letter that he's writing. He goes from this person who was out trying to end Christianity and putting Christians in jail. And now, because he won't stop talking about Jesus and he won't stop sharing the story of Jesus, sharing the gospel, he is now a prisoner in jail under house arrest. So it's kind of the other side of the coin for him. So that's, that's Paul. He's writing, he's writing this letter and he's writing to a man named Philemon. And Philemon was a leader in the early church in this city called Colossae. So we're gonna put it up on the screen here so you guys can see it. So here's Paul, the Apostle Paul, over in Rome under house arrest. And he's writing this letter to this man named Philemon in this city of Colossae. And I know it doesn't look too far, but that's actually about 1,200 miles apart. So if you just think of the distance from here to Miami, Florida, it's not, it's not a short distance, a long way apart. So he's writing this letter all the way from Rome to Colossae, to Philemon. And the reason he's writing it is because Philemon's a leader in the early church and he had this slave named Onesimus. So Philemon was a slave owner, owned this man named Onesimus. And what's happened is Onesimus actually ran away from his slavery and he went 1,200 miles away and got all the way to Rome. So he traveled all that distance. He probably went to Rome so he could get there and kind of blend in because it was, it was a huge city. They think there was probably millions of people living there at the time. So he got there, probably thought he would blend in, but that's not what happened. What happened is Onesimus somehow ran into the Apostle Paul and met the Apostle Paul. And then we know from reading the letter that the Apostle Paul probably led Onesimus to Christ. He taught him what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus and Onesimus became a follower of Jesus. And that's kind of the landscape of this letter. And basically what happens in the letter, Paul's writing from Rome to Philemon and Colossae about Onesimus. And he's, and he's writing to Philemon, he's saying, look, I'm gonna send Onesimus back to you, but I want you to accept him 
as you would accept me. I want you to accept him as a dear brother. So the letter begins and Paul's saying, look, Philemon, I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited about all the ways that God is using you. And I'm constantly praying for you and remembering you in my prayers because of all the ways that God is using you. But there's this one thing we gotta talk about. We gotta talk about this, this fact that you own this slave named Onesimus and that has to change. That relationship has to change because you're both followers of Jesus and now that relationship trumps anything else that is going on in the world. So I'm gonna send him back to you. So I'm gonna send Onesimus back to you. And when he gets there, I don't want you to treat him the same anymore. I want you to accept him in the same way as you would accept me. No longer as a slave, but he says, now is a brother, is a brother in Christ. And Paul's vision is they would now work together in ministry. So it's a really interesting thing that's happening in this letter. And last week we spent a little bit of time talking about the Apostle Paul situation. And we talked about how he was in Rome, but he probably, so he probably wanted to get to Rome. He talks about, I want to go to Rome. And we think the reason he wanted to go to Rome is because he understood, he's a smart guy. He knew that Rome was the central of like the entire world at that time. Rome was the superpower. And I think the Apostle Paul knew and understood if he could get to Rome and if he could influence some people in Rome, then they could get the gospel out to the rest of the world. But what's really amazing is he gets to Rome, but he gets there under house arrest, not in the way he had imagined, I don't think. He gets there under house arrest, but we see him just being okay with the circumstances that God put him in. And because of that, because of his contentment in his circumstances, God is able to use him in these amazing ways and the gospel ends up going out for the Roman Empire and then through the rest of the world all the way to you and me today. So it's really interesting. We talked about how God was able to use Paul in that situation and we see that we can draw the principle that God's able to use us no matter the situation we're in. And the situation we're in isn't the important thing. It's really how our heart is lined up with God's heart. And when our hearts are lined up with God's heart, that's when God will use us. We talked about that last week. And this week, what we're doing is we're gonna, we're gonna zoom in just for a little bit this morning and focus on the Apostle Paul's prayer for Philemon. And we have it right here in verse four. We'll put it up on the screen. So Paul's writing to Philemon and he's gonna have this prayer for him we're gonna look at. He says this, he writes, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. So he's like, man, when I, when I pray for you, I'm always so thankful to God for all the amazing ways that God is working through you and the way that you love the people around you. And then he says this really interesting thing. He said, this is, this is what he's talking about as part of his prayer. This is how he's praying for Paul, what he's, saying, what he's saying for Philemon. He says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Let me, let me read that again for us. He says this, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. So basically what the Apostle Paul is praying for Philemon is this. He's saying, look, somehow I'm praying that through your partnership, or we could say through your relationship with us, I'm praying that through your partnership or through your relationship, you will end up having a deeper understanding of all of the things we have in Christ. So he's saying, look, through the relationships you have with us and the relationships you have with other believers around you through these close Christian friendships, or we could call it fellowship, I'm praying that you'll get a better understanding of all the things we have in Christ. And then he finished it off saying, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. 
And when we look at this word partnership, I think it's a, you know, it's, a, it's probably a good translation, but at least for me, when I think of the word partnership, I think of some sort of legal agreement. So in my mind, when I hear partnership, I think of like business partners. So they sign an agreement and they're gonna work together, but it can be kind of like a dry thing or more of like a technical thing. And really what the word we're looking at there is this word in the Greek, that word partnership, it comes from the word called koinonia. It's called koinonia. And what that word means, it means Christian fellowship or communion with God or more commonly with fellow Christians. So Christian fellowship with other Christians. So deep Christian friendship or deep Christian Christian community is what we're talking about. So Paul's saying, look, through your friendship, through your deep Christian relationships and through your deep Christian fellowship with other believers, I'm praying that through that, through those experiences with each other, you'll gain a fuller understanding of all of the good things we have in Christ. So I put it up on the screen this way. So Christian fellowship leads us to a deeper understanding of everything we have in Christ. So Christian fellowship or Christian friendship, what it actually does and we are exposed to that and we take part of that and we're active in sharing in deep Christian friendship, Christian fellowship, we're going to gain a better understanding of all of the things we have in Christ. And I think, I think this is the truth, this statement, this is how I put it in my notes. I put We cannot fully understand or experience everything we have in Christ without Christian community. We cannot fully understand or experience everything we have in Christ without Christian community. Because a lot of the things we have in Christ, they can't be learned from in a classroom. They can't be learned from someone standing on a stage. They can only be experienced through our relationships with other believers. And we need to like start thinking of the church a little less as an organization and more like a family. So let me, let me give you an example I've been thinking about. So if you guys just kind of pretend with me and play along for a second, I'm gonna give you an example of my family. So me and my wife, Jen, we've married 10 years and uh, we have four pretty crazy rambunctious but like awesome kids. And um, so for example, what, what if our family dynamic was like this? What if it looked like this? What if the only time we ever saw each other was once a week? So say once a week, we called a family meeting. So we picked a day of the week and we said, okay, for one hour, once a week, we're gonna have the Nichols family meeting. We're gonna get together. And so we all gathered together, all six of us. And I'm, I'm the dad, so I guess, I guess it's my job to lead this meeting. So we get everybody together. Maybe I spend a little bit of time just kind of defining the family. And I'm like, okay, guys, this is, this is what a family is. This is how a family is supposed to function. This is how we're supposed to interact with each other. We're supposed to treat each other well and love each other and care for each other and all these things. And then, and then maybe during, during that meeting, um, you know, maybe I express to my children and to my wife how, how deeply I love them and how, how deeply I care for them. And, and then maybe I even spend a little bit of time just talking about right and wrong. So teaching my kids the difference between right and wrong. So I'm like, you know, these are, these are the things you should do. You should love each other. You should care about each other. You should care for other people. You should, you should be quick to forgive and you should be slow to anger and all of those different good things to teach them. And then maybe I spend a little bit of time saying, you know, and these are the things you don't want to do. You don't want to hurt each other. You don't want to lie to each other. You don't want to steal. You don't want to gossip, right? And maybe there was a little bit of teaching time and they may, maybe we even spent a little bit of time, me and my wife, just trying to kind of inspire our children and, and give them some good words that'll help them throughout the week till next time they meet. And what if that was kind of like the only thing that happened with our family? We got together one time a week, 
and we defined the family and talked about it, right? Those would, those would all be good things. Those would be good things that we're having this family meeting and talking about it and teaching our kids right from wrong. But I think if we're all honest, we'd be like, I don't know if that's a family, right? That's a, that's a meeting. That's a meeting you're having once a week with a group of people because there's all of these missing elements in a family that we have. There's all of the relational connection there, living together in the same house, eating meals together, spending time together, going to activities together, going to events together. All of those things together is really what makes a family. There's a lot of good things in that family meeting, but we would all say it's an incomplete picture of what a family truly is because we don't have all of those relational connections. And I think a similar thing can happen in the church. You know, because we, <clears throat> we can come once a week, right, and like hear somebody speak and things like that, which is a really good thing that we should all do. But without those relational connections with other Christians, we're never going to be able to fully experience what it means to be a part of the church. We're never gonna be able to fully experience what the family of God is or the body of Christ. And there's a lot of, a lot of things that come from that, a lot of things that come from those relationships. So just think of ways that we experience Jesus through relationships into the church. So I think of one of those. One of those is we experience the love of God through other Christians. That's one of the main ways we actually feel and experience the love of God is through our relationships with other believers. I, I believe that that's where we, we probably can sense and understand and like feel what forgiveness is, is from the body of Christ, from the people around us. I think that's where we care for each other and we, we can learn what it means to be cared for by God, we, we learn that from his people, from those relationships we have with other people. And I wanna put us on the screen here. The Apostle Paul in Philemon, he, he describes some people that he's writing to and he describes some people that he's writing about. I just want you to listen to the way that the Apostle Paul describes these men and women. So he starts off and he's writing to Philemon. He calls Philemon a dear friend. He's a dear friend. He's not, he's not just an acquaintance He's a friend, and he's not just a friend. The Apostle Paul calls him a dear friend, so he is deeply relationally connected with Philemon. And then he says, you've given me great joy and encouragement. So he's drawing a lot of the joy in his life and a lot of the encouragement in his life from his relationship with Philemon and from his relationship with other believers. He's not jealous of him. He's excited about the ways that God is using him. Then the next one here is Aphia, and he calls Aphia his sister. So again, Aphia is not an acquaintance. She's just not another Christian who goes to church somewhere and he's met her. He calls her a sister in the faith. There's this deeper bond, a deeper connection there than just an acquaintance. The next one we have here is Archippus. And this one's really fascinating to me. He calls Archippus a fellow soldier. Archippus is a fellow soldier. So that, when you think of that word of soldier, Paul is clearly like thinking of the Christian life and the ministry he's doing, he's thinking about it as a spiritual warfare. And he thinks of this man, Archippus, as a fellow soldier. So it's someone that he joins forces with, literally fighting like the battle between good and evil, literally fighting against Satan, trying to save souls from like eternity in hell. That's how, that's how Paul would view this man named Archippus as a fellow soldier. They're fighting together for the faith. They're contending for the faith. They're fighting and trying to drive back evil and bring in the kingdom of God because of the life change that's gonna come from it. And then the last one he mentions is Onesimus. He talks about Onesimus quite a bit. And he calls Onesimus my son. 
And we know that Paul probably led Onesimus to Christ, so he sees him as a spiritual son. And he actually calls him that. He calls him a son. And this one's amazing. He says this about Onesimus. He says, he's my very heart. And when I, when I think of that idea of someone being your very heart, the only way I can think of to describe that is how you feel about your children if you're a father or mother. And it's someone that like, they're literally part of you and they can't be separated no matter what happens. They're, they're a part of you and they will always be a part of you because they're your children. And that's how, that's how the apostle Paul is describing Onesimus. He says, he's my very heart. Then he goes on to say, he's very dear to me. And then he also says, he's a brother in the Lord. So he's not just his son anymore. He's not just a person that Paul led into the faith. Paul has discipled him and he's grown in his faith. And now he sees him as a brother who's on the mission of God with him. And you know, when I, when I hear the way that Paul describes these people here, I'm, I'm very convicted by that. Because I think about my life and my relationships. And I'm like, man, do I? If I'm honest, do I have that? Do I have people that I would call like a dear friend and people that have given me great joy and encouragement and some of the greatest joy in my life is from their success? There are people that are sisters in the Lord or people that I would call my fellow soldiers. Like, do I have that in my life? Do I have people that are my son or my daughter in the faith? And do I have those relationships? And I would just ask you guys that question. You know, when you think about the landscape of your life and you think about the way you invest your life, do you have that? Do you have these kind of relationships, this deep Christian walk with other believers who can keep pushing you towards Jesus. And then another, another question I ask myself is this, kind of on the other side of the coin, it's not just do I have those relationships, it's like, man, does anyone else view me that way? You know, have I, have I spent enough of my life and invested enough and cared for people in ways that they view me this way, that I'm their brother or sister in Christ. And you guys know, if you have any relationships like that, you just know what an amazing thing it is and how it's almost impossible to describe to somebody what it means to have true Christian community with another brother or sister in the Lord. And it's not something that we can learn in a class. It's something that has to be experienced for us. And then, you know, I think of, I think of kind of like roadblocks to relationships, and I think of myself... And if I'm being honest, probably most of the time, my biggest roadblock to relationships and to having deeper relationships is being vulnerable and trusting people. You know, to love somebody like this and for them to know me at that level and for me to know them at that level, it takes a ton of trust and it takes a ton of vulnerability in being open with somebody. And as C.S. Lewis says this really cool thing, it's a really short statement, but I think it's really good and it's very true to life. He wrote this. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. To love at all is to be vulnerable. So even just to love just a little bit, we're being a little bit, little bit vulnerable. And then loving a lot, we're being very, very vulnerable because, because the reality is, like the deeper the love and the deeper we share our life with someone else, the more vulnerable we have to be and the more trust we have to have in that person. And the other like, kind of hard reality of relationships that I think we all know is that the deeper we love somebody, the deeper they're able to hurt us. You know, so it can be hard to trust people and it can be hard to step out in faith in that way. It can be very, very hard to risk 
because some of us have maybe been hurt before, you know, and it's very hard to risk and very hard to risk again. But when we look back at Paul, and we look back at the relationship between Paul and Philemon and Onesimus, and we think about it, Paul is, is asking these men to risk in some pretty radical ways. So first, if we, look at, if we look at Philemon and look at his situation, so Philemon was the slave owner. But remember, he was in a culture where this was normal, and it wasn't against the law. It was very normal. It wasn't right, like by any stretch of the imagination. It was a sin. That's why Paul's addressing it. But Philemon lives in a society where it's a normal thing, and it's kind of what everybody does. So for him to bring back Onesimus and to accept him as a very dear brother is a pretty radical thing in his situation. And it takes risk. There's going to be a risk there. People are going to view him differently. And things are definitely going to change because of it. And then you think of the way Paul is asking Onesimus to risk. This is pretty radical. So you have Onesimus, who ran 1,200 miles away from his owner, meets Paul, becomes a believer, and Paul's sending him back to his owner. And it's just like this amazing risk there. Like this relationship could definitely go sideways, you know. But Paul is asking them to risk because he knows the beauty that can come from that relationship and when they begin to work in ministry together. And when I think of, also when I think of the way Paul's writing to Philemon, I kind of get this sense when I read the letter that Paul's almost saying like, look, is is your faith real or not, Philemon? This is kind of where the rubber meets the road. Like you're doing all of these amazing things, but now I'm gonna ask you to do something that's kind of like out of bounds and not accepted in the society that you live in. Are you going to be active in your faith? And are you going to risk in the way I'm asking you to do that? Because faith always requires risk. Faith always requires risk for us. Hebrews 11.1 talks about faith and it says this. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for an assurance about what we do not see. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. So basically the author of Hebrews is saying this about faith. He's saying, look, faith, having faith in something or faith in someone is being willing to risk or being willing to take a risk for something you cannot fully understand. It's willing to believe something that you can't quite see everything that's gonna happen yet. And in our faith with Jesus, there's a lot of, there's a, it takes a lot of faith to follow Jesus, right? We have, to, we have to step out into something we don't fully understand and put our trust in Jesus, but also to grow in our faith, to have deep relationships with other followers of Jesus. It requires us to step out in faith and take a risk. But man, I believe the risk is like very, very worth it. Because developing deep friendships with other believers is gonna help us understand much more what it means to have everything we have in Jesus Christ. And I think, of, I think of the way that we view relationships as a culture now. It's, it's interesting and it's kind of sad really, but I think of things like social media, like Facebook and Twitter and all those different things. And, and it can be like very good tools. We use them at the church and it's fun to keep up with people and see what's going on in their lives. But one of the downsides to it is sometimes we focus, I, I believe we focus too much on having a bunch of followers instead of focusing on having deep friendships with people. Right, so we're worried on Facebook, I mean, like how many friends do I have? How many people are gonna, are gonna share my post? How many thumbs up am I gonna get? How many smiley faces am I gonna get? Or on Twitter, you know, we're wondering like, how many followers do I have on Twitter and how many retweets am I gonna get? Or whatever social media platform is out there, and there's a bunch of them. But our focus can become on trying to gather this following or all of these fans instead of having deep relationships 
with individuals which are actually gonna bring real, true joy and happiness in our lives. And C.S. Lewis said something about this a long time ago, and I think it's really like applicable to us today. He said this, while friendship has been far, has been by far the chief source of my happiness. So he's saying, look, the things that have made me the happiest in life and have brought me the most joy in life is my friendships, my deep friendships with other people. It's brought me the greatest joy in my life. Then he says this, acquaintance or general society has always meant little to me. And I cannot quite understand why a man should wish to know more people than he can make real friends of. And I think, I think C.S. Lewis may be, may be a bit of an overstatement because it's good, to, it's good to know a lot of people and have a lot of friends. But we get what he's saying. He's saying, look, like the things that have really brought me true joy in life is the people that I know well and they know me well and we can invest in each other's lives. He's like, that's where the real Troy, true joy and happiness and just wonderful things that happen in my life is with those relationships. And then he's like, you know what, even, I can't understand, it kind of confuses me why people would chase after having a crowd follow them or having all of these followers because that's not where true joy and happiness comes from. And then in Proverbs, we see something similar. So the author of Proverbs in chapter 18, verse 24, he wrote this. He said, a man of many companions may come to ruin. A man of many companions may come to ruin. So he's like, you, you may have a ton of acquaintances and companions, but you know, you can still train wreck your life like that. But then it says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that's really where the true joy comes from in life. It's not a popularity contest. We need to work and make effort for deep Christian relationships. And when I think of that statement, a man that sticks closer than a brother, I think of my time in the military. So I was actually in the military a while ago. It was quite a while ago. I was in a little bit better shape back in those days. <laughs> um, but I was in the military, and I ended up being deployed to Iraq in um, like 2004, 2005, around that time. And it's fascinating when I look at my time before deployment compared to my time during the deployment. Because I was in this thing called the Army National Guard, and it was just a bunch of us from Akron who were truck drivers and we were in the Army National Guard and we would get together one weekend a month for our drill weekend and we actually called it playing Army. Like, hey, let's get together and play Army this weekend. So we would play Army, we would get together and kind of go through the motions of all the things we needed to do in our drills. And there was, there was relationships there. I think of the other like men and women in my unit. Like we had, we had some relationships, but if we're being honest, like they weren't, None of them were really deep friendships. It was just somebody I would see once a month. We kind of hang out, have a good time. But all of that changed the moment that we got orders from the United States Army that we were going to get deployed to Iraq, right? You had this group of kind of random people from Akron who were part of this unit. And then all of a sudden, the government had given us this mission together, right? And through, through that mission and through that year or so, when we were in Iraq, we ended up being a gun truck company. And through all the bad things we went through and all the good things we went through, like it bonded us in this very unique and amazing way that's hard to describe. Because of that common experience and that common mission and that common goal, we had this relational connection that we could have never had without that. And I don't see most of those guys from my unit anymore. I very rarely see them. But I'll tell you what, because of that connection we have, I guarantee you I could call any of them and they would like be on my doorstep if I needed their help because we have this connection that will probably last a lifetime because we are on mission together. And you know, I think the same thing is true in the church. 
when we think of the church, you can kind of like contrast two different types of church. And one church is where people kind of show up every once in a while and come to a meeting, you know, and it's good. It's a really good thing, but it's different than the group of believers who come together and they're on mission together and they're serving together. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever done like much ministry, but I think of the, I think of our people that were helping out at, uh, at junior camp this week. You know, they have a deeper bond than they would have had the week before because they spent time together. They got up early in the morning and they stayed up late, like investing in these kids' lives. And literally what they're doing is they're battling together for the souls of children. That's what they're doing. And it gives this deep bond that you can't replace and you can't get any other way because you're coming together, you're serving together, you're caring for each other, you're loving each other and you're investing in each other's lives. And it's something that you gain from that, this understanding of Jesus, that you can't have any other way without experiencing it. It's not something that can be taught. It has to be something that you experience. And then I think of my other Christian friends. I have a, I have a lot of other Christian friends, the ones I wasn't in the military with. And one thing that's awesome about them, the, one, the ones that I would call like my brothers in Christ, they're like there for me. You know? and, I, and I know the biggest thing about all of them that I could say is this. I know, like beyond a shadow of a doubt, they will always push me back to Jesus. No matter what's going on in my life, no matter the circumstances, whether it's good or bad, they're always going to push my heart back to the heart of Jesus. So I'll just give you a simple example. So say, say me and my wife are fighting, which happens sometimes, of course, we're just normal people. Say we're fighting, say I'm frustrated with her, and I call up one of my buddies, and maybe I go hang out with her, and I'm just talking to him on the phone. And I start complaining about my wife and our relationship and how it could be better and blah, 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 blah. I know that these dear friends, these brothers in Christ, they're always going to push me back to Jesus. And in this situation, it means they're going to push me back to my wife. And they're going to be like, look, man, Jesus died for you. And he's asking you to lay down your life for your wife. You know, and you need to like forgive. You need to like work on that relationship. So no matter what's going on, they're always going to push me back to Jesus. And another thing too is I know they're always there for me. So I think of the good times in life with like some of the biggest celebrations of like having children or accomplishments or promotions or whatever it might be. Those men, those brothers in Christ are going to celebrate with us. They're going to be there for us. They're going to celebrate with us. But then they're also going to be there in the hard times. You know, when there's death or trials or loss of a job or loss of a dream, those people are going to be there with us and they're going to walk through life with us. And it's this amazing thing that really can't be described. And again, just back to that question. Like when I talk about that and you think about that, do you have people in your life like that? Do you have people that you have that deep, close amazing connection with it will always push you towards Jesus. And then you have the opportunity to always push them towards Jesus. And if we don't have that, it's going to be very difficult for us to ever fully understand all of the good things we have in Christ. Because our faith, our faith in Jesus causes us to live differently. It causes us to actually act differently. So I just want to ask you, you know, a couple questions. So if you're here this morning and you're like, man, this, this is interesting. I've never really heard something like this. And, I, and you feel like you don't have Christian friends like that. I would just encourage you to like take a step towards someone. Maybe there's actually someone here this morning that you could connect with. Or maybe there's like a grace group you could try out or a Bible study. Or maybe you know a group of Christians that you should like join and be part of. You need to take a step towards them. It's this wonderful, amazing 
beautiful thing, but you have to be willing to risk a little bit and you have to be willing to trust, but it's worth it. It's worth it because of all of the amazing things that you can have. And another thing too, I would imagine there's a lot of people here this morning that are, you've been Christians a long time and you're like, you know, I, I got a bunch of Christian friends. Like I got all kinds of Christian friends. And I remember feeling like this. It's like, man, I got so many Christian friends I can't even keep up with them. And that's, that's awesome. It's a cool thing to have. But maybe it's time for you to like move outside of that a little bit and spend some time investing in new believers, investing in people that don't really know Jesus well and get outside of that. I, I remember a time about, I don't know, probably um, six years ago, something like that, five, six years ago, Grace Church came and asked my wife and I to lead a grace group. And I remember we were in that situation. We were like, man, we have all kinds of Christian friends. We really don't need any more, <laughs> you know? And I remember thinking about that and us talking about that and processing that. And we're like, why would we, <clears throat> why would we lead a grace group? We have all of these Christian friends and we have deep Christian fellowship with them already. Why would we do that? And then it either dawned on us or God talked to us. I don't know what happened. And we're like, you know what? Maybe it's not about us. Maybe it's not about us. Maybe it's about creating an environment for other followers of Jesus to be able to connect with followers of Jesus and have that deep Christian community in order to more fully understand all of the things we have in Christ. So maybe that's, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you have a lot of Christian friends, but maybe you can make room for some others. Or maybe, maybe it's even time for you to like aspire to leadership. You know, maybe you've been coming for a while and you know the Bible pretty well and you kind of got this Jesus thing down and you've been kind of sitting on the bench. You know, maybe it's time to like aspire to leadership, get off the bench and help lead. There's a lot of people who are lacking that relationship with other believers that could use that. So whatever situation you're in, whether you're somebody who's like, man, I don't really have any Christian friends, just take some risk and reach out to some people and try and spend more time with them. Maybe join a group or something like that. Or if you're the person who's been a Christian for a long time, maybe it's time to aspire to leadership. There's lots of room there. There's, we need lots of leaders to teach people about Jesus and show them what it means through community to love like Jesus. And then the last thing I want to say this morning is this. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you got drug here, maybe you showed up on your own. I don't, I don't know what it might be. But maybe you've been investigating Jesus for a little bit and you've heard about this church thing and this Jesus thing. Maybe it's time for you to like step out in faith and take a risk. Maybe you're like kind of up to the line and you're like, you know, I've heard a lot about Jesus and I know a lot of things. Maybe it's time for you just to jump off and like begin that relationship. It's this amazing thing. The Bible talks about this. The Bible says, when you become a follower of Jesus, you'll have a father that will never leave you. The Bible says, God will never leave you or forsake you. Then it also talks about our sins, all the wrong things that we've done in our life. And it says that when we when we become a follower of Jesus, he takes all of our shortcomings, all of our sins, and he casts them as far as the east is from the west. So he separates us from our sin, and now he views us to the righteousness of Jesus. This is an amazing opportunity that God is offering us forgiveness of our sins and eternity with him forever. All right, let's pray.